The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up on the program, the therapist panel. Tonight we discuss psychopaths, recognizing a psychopath. I know I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with this a little bit, having watched not only the Ted Bundy tapes, but also uh, Dirty John, uh, which is another Netflix series about psychopaths, both true stories, both extremely disturbing. So with my panel of psychologists, we're going to talk about how to recognize a psychopath, just especially if you're dating, like the Dirty John one makes people really afraid of going online and like, and possibly meeting up with somebody like that. So we're going to talk about that. I think it'll be a little illuminating for uh, for us. Uh, but first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. Let me get to some of your questions. Some are sent by email, which uh, my email address is laurie at drlaurie.com. This one came by uh, email. I'm writing to seek help and advice on whether or not masturbation affects growth. I'm 18 turning 19 virgin uh, male. I get uh, used to masturbating once a day at most twice and I think it's a bit too much. My concern is that is masturbating going to affect growth especially on height. I'm 18 and I'm and I'm only five foot three. I am afraid I will keep this height for the rest of my life. Should I stop masturbating in order to grow uh, taller? Uh, So masturbation once or twice a day, just for the record, uh, for an 18-year-old male is uh, perfectly normal. Men this age are experiencing their peak in testosterone levels. Men also tend to um, keep growing. Even uh, up until they're 20, 21, they can still have spurts of growth, whereas girls generally grow at a very slow pace once they have, uh, once they get their periods. So if a girl gets her period at 12, the height she is at 12 will not change that much, generally speaking. So there's still hope that you will grow taller. Uh, However, uh, masturbation and uh, growth are not uh, correlated. They are unrelated. So it doesn't matter how much you masturbate, it will not affect your growth. And certainly twice a day, by the way, is not considered uh, too much. So sometimes I wonder, like, where do people get their information from? Clearly, we need to address the issue uh, of masturbation in sex ed because this is a. I get tons of questions from young men about masturbation. Is this too much? Is this going to affect uh, uh, my sexuality later on? Is this going to um, cause uh, some physical damage? Is like uh, tons of questions. Always concerned with, is this normal and what damage am I doing uh, to myself? So Clearly, we're not addressing this in uh, in sexual health education, and maybe a lot of the education people are getting is simply about 
how to protect yourself and what are sexually transmitted infections, but they don't talk too much about uh, all these concerns that uh, teenagers and young adults actually have with regards to uh, to sexuality. And maybe they're just embarrassed to ask those questions in class. So we have to find a way to uh, get people to be able to ask these questions. I like the use of anonymous, like you, you keep a, a box on the teacher's desk kind of thing and people write anonymous questions and they put them in there and hopefully they get answered. So at least those kinds of questions, like I can't Im- imagine a, a boy putting up his hand and asking a question like that, for example, thinking that what will the other kids think or will they make fun of me or how come I don't know this? Maybe they all know this. Uh, and that's just not the case. Usually if you have that question, there's somebody else who has a, a very similar question. And that's the philosophy that I go with here on, on the show. So to me, no question is a silly question because I know that the same questions get asked over and over again. Uh, For the past six years with sexual partners, I've had trouble reaching orgasm during sex and oral sex. However, jerking off, I reach orgasm with ease. As a male, this is kind of demoralizing as it takes away the ending fun of sex, making sex seem more of a chore than it is a pleasurable activity. I've seen doctors and they've told me nothing was wrong physically and that it is more of a mental situation. Do you have any pointers on how to orgasm again? So your doctor is absolutely right. There probably is nothing physically wrong with you. I can probably say this with a lot of certainty because you can ejaculate no problem when you're on your own. So I've said this before. We've addressed this before. It's another one of those masturbation questions. But it is certainly possible that you are so used to um, one type of stimulation in other words, masturbation always in the same way, that other forms of stimulation, like intercourse, for example, just don't provide the intensity that you, uh, that you might need. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is that you get nervous, you get anxious about your performance with partners, and this can have an impact on your ability uh, to let go. So uh, sometimes there are unconscious forces at work, uh, sometimes expressing some ambivalence that we may have uh, about these relationships. Uh, and for a lot of men, when they uh, get into a steady relationship where they feel secure, that problem actually often disappears. But these are all hypotheses based on whatever limited information I have. Um, You can try to stay away from masturbation for a while. You can, uh, this way you can train your body to enjoy other forms of stimulation. Uh, Try also during uh, sex with your partner is try to focus on the sensations in your penis. Like focus on what you're feeling, uh, physically rather than being in your head wondering, gee, why isn't it not happening? Is this ever going to happen? Will I, will I ejaculate? Will I not? What? So when you start worrying like that, it won't happen. That's part of the, uh, that's part of the problem. A couple of texts here. I started my menstrual cycle at the age of 11 and remained the same height and the same shoe size. Well, that's not unusual. I I remember I was the tallest kid in the class, the tallest kid for years. 
Uh, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be tall. Okay. And then uh, I, I think I got my period, I think, in grade seven. So I was like 12, around 12. And then I became the shortest kid in high school in, in the class because I just stopped growing. And all the other kids who were getting their periods later, uh, they kept on growing. So uh, and for women, that's just the way it is. Uh, the later you have your period, the more chance you have to be taller if you get your period early. It's not the only factor that determines height. Obviously, genetics also has a, a big part to play in this uh, as well. Uh, another texture says, there are injections that can be given to you that help you grow a few inches taller. Ask your doctor. So this is for the male who is afraid he's going to stay at uh, at five foot three. Uh, so that's uh, that's a possibility. You can you can check with your doctor. Sometimes they check for your testosterone levels, your growth hormones, to make sure that you uh, have enough growth hormones. For example, uh, another question: Any tricks on good oral sex? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, first of all, male oral sex, female oral sex. The best thing is to ask your partner what the, he or she likes, how they like, because everybody likes things differently. Uh, so having that kind of open communication would be the best thing. There are also tutorials online that you could find. You could find tutorials on everything, including how to give uh, oral sex. So, And there are books written about that. So you can find uh, that, uh, that information. So coming up in our therapist panel, we are going to talk about how to recognize a psychopath. Let me know if you watch Dirty John or the Ted Bundy tapes. Tell me what you, you thought about that. Relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. So Ted Bundy once said, I don't feel guilty for anything. I feel sorry for people who feel guilt. Now Ted Bundy was a known psychopath. Some psychopaths are killers like him, uh, but others, maybe not necessarily. Could you, have you ever been uh, or found out that, ooh, the person I was with is actually a psychopath? Now, I happen to know personally, uh, I know one, maybe two women who got caught in relationships where they eventually realized, wow, I was with a psychopath and it was crazy. Um, a great example, this is a true story. If you get to watch this and you want to know more about this, on Netflix is a series that just came out called Dirty John. And it is the true story of uh, a woman who, um, a middle-aged woman who goes online and starts dating and ends up with this super charming, good-looking guy who she thinks is a doctor. I don't want to spoil the whole thing for you, but um, but it's a true story. So, and it it just goes through. I think it's I don't know six, seven episodes, uh, and uh, we don't. Well, I won't. Uh, I won't spoil the ending. 
that's the that's like you just want it to end that's the thing you're watching this you're going this has got to end uh joining me in studios our therapist panel stefan ben susan is here he's a health psychologist and the founder of c santé welcome back stefan hi and jackie miller who's a clinical psychologist and also professor of psychology who teaches uh lucky us right here uh forensic psychology as well so you're well versed not only that you've also worked with sex offenders, for example, so yeah. you're able to, uh, you kind of have a, a closer look at psychopathic uh, behavior, I guess. Yeah, and there's, um, it's a psychological construct and it has uh, definite criteria. So there's like three dimensions to a psychopath. There's okay. affective, which is emotions. Well, in this case, lack, lack of, of emotions, emotion. right. but also shallow emotions. A lot of times, People think that when people do horrible things that it's like rageful or it's there's a lot of emotion. But actually psychopaths, it's more a lack of emotion. It's like someone who could do something really horrible, but it's not actually... And feel nothing. And like, feel nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's not for, for revenge. It's just because I want to, you know, mm-hmm. it's like... That's very clear with Ted Bundy. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the interpersonal. It's being, you know, very dominant, being very manipulative being very selfish like people are looked at how can they meet my needs it's they're they're predatory right other people are looked at as prey um uh, and then there's the behavioral doing the actual acts that we consider antisocial like lying or killing or or deceiving people um and a lot of times we think of psychopaths as people who you know like yeah we we don't consider them oh they wouldn't be in the normal population but they there's a great uh, documentary on CBC called the psychopath next door mm. and it talks about how certain professions you know surgeons <laughs> lawyers ceos when they take this uh, pers- uh this checklist for psychopathy developed by Dr. Robert Hare they these people are scoring high on psychopathy right yeah, exactly uh-huh. Ooh, so okay. it's about 1% of the population could fit the criteria of a psychopath wow yeah that's uh so most of them are not in prison <laughs> right that it's yeah. not that's the um i guess the difference between the ted bundys of the world or the um the homolkas of the mm-hmm. world or uh, you know the ones that we have made the uh the news and and uh, have done horrible things and have been in prison for it, but they could be people you date. Yeah, they could absolutely. be uh, because they are charming and manipulative and uh, and so and it has nothing to do with how smart you are. Yeah, uh, in terms of falling prey. Yeah, because we're not expecting people to act like that. Right. With us. Like we we can't conceive that someone could have absolutely no empathy. Like this is a person that they don't have to rob the bank because they can con you into giving right. all your money to them. <laughs> right? Right. They they don't have to necessarily do something criminal. Against, yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They can get people like in this story, Dirty John. Right. He's, you know, always dating people he can get stuff from. He was a poor dude, but he was able to live rich. Why? Through the women that he met. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so this idea that it's just, uh, you know, you know, hardened criminals. Right. Well, there's a couple of texts here and these are important distinctions to make. Sounds like you just described narcissists. So psychopaths are the extreme end Mm -hmm. of narcissists because they also, they also have uh, narcissistic personality traits. 
Yeah, they're so, just on the extreme. Yeah, so narciss narcissistic personality, that's a personality disorder. And there's like antisocial personality disorder, which is really about doing antisocial acts. So these are personality disorders. But psychopathy is a, is a different, it's a separate psychological construct. Like you'll find personality disorders in the DSM, the mm -hmm. Diagnostic Statistical right. Manual. But psychopathy is like an actual, it's a different construct. So, so it's a different diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. But oftentimes, if you look at the traits, mm -hmm. they cross over. Like they, yes, they will have some of those yes, traits for the, sure the manipulation the yes. and the charm and the um you know saying thinking what they very highly hear. of themselves exactly yeah. exactly some some of those things yeah i mean a lot of them also don't have the sense of guilt right and and the psychopaths that i work with tend to find a way of manipulating people not in a in a mean way, but as a fun way. They see things that's this is life is a game and let's mm. see how much I can let's see if I can get her to do this for me. Just for fun. Let's explore. Let's let's find out. So it's almost as if they feel like they're they're above everybody else and they have a sense of wanting to manipulate like like a puppeteer would do with a puppet. Um and it's really and you see this and sometimes and I work a lot with kids as well who have some of those elements oh. and who lead gangs or who kind of invite others to do certain types of actions. Um, and you say, man, is this a psychopath in the making? Oh, wow. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that must be scary we, for you. <laughs> it's sometimes scary. And how do we yeah. intervene to prevent these, these potential people to, to, you know, is there a way of preventing this from happening? Can we educate them? Can we teach the empathy to these adults and these children? Um, can, I don't know. What you have do you a better think? chance with children, no, to teach yeah. empathy. Yeah. yeah, so the research on treatment of psychopaths or antisocial personality is not very... Um, promising. Po yeah, promising <laughs> in terms of right. treatment. But early intervention mm -hmm. seems to be, you know, uh, more helpful. So identifying those kids that ha show some of these traits because they don't just grow out of it. Oftentimes, they will develop into those personalities. Yeah, like um, they have a disorder called conduct disorder. Right. And mm -hmm. before you would get something like antisocial or psychopath, you would, it's not like I tell my students, it's, it, it's, you don't wake up at, you know, 18 years old and all of a sudden decide you're going to start doing these types of behaviors. Right. This is, you know, um, and at the same time, you don't see like all children can do things that maybe are, you know, like mischievous, mischievous yeah. and self-centered. Yeah, and they, right. But we're talking about children who, you know, terrorize the family pet or want to, you know, set things on fire or, mm -hmm. you know, or extreme bullying, these types of things. Um, Right. Yeah. We're talking about psychopaths uh, tonight, recognizing a psychopath. Uh, let me know if you watched uh, Dirty John or the Ted Bundy tapes. What did you think of that? Uh, was it uh, uh, bone chilling for you? Like it, it really was for me. It was quite scary uh, to watch that. We've got Stefan Bensusen and Jackie Miller on my therapist panel tonight uh, discussing this. So here's a good question. What's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? Well, a sociopath is more um, like a, a lay term that a lot of times like the media will use or it, and it's often used to describe someone who's done something like a like a mass shooting mm -hmm. or something to society on a bigger scale, whereas psychopaths are doing things, you know, maybe individual victims um, and sociopath doesn't have any definable criteria like psychopath has, you know, there's a 
a checklist to do. There's a questionnaire. There's a whole assessment. There's definable criteria. With sociopath, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's more the idea of looking at someone who's doing something against society, who doesn't, who goes against maybe in a larger scale. What I've also seen is that sociopath is described as an like an extreme of narcissism, right? And like having all of those same same traits. Because a lot of them over, it's psychopaths. What distinguishes, I think, a lot of the that from a psychopath from an extreme narcissist, for example, is the behaviors. Mm-hmm. Some of the the extreme of the behaviors, the extremes that they will go to mm-hmm. uh, to get what they want. I think, Stefan. Yeah, and absolutely, and I and I think one of the things that's important to keep in mind that we're talking about psychopaths and the negative characteristics of this, I think it's it's important to highlight that psychopaths can be can be winners as well, and they can influence our society in a number of ways. Um, many people who, as you mentioned, Jackie, can be CEOs and and lead companies and be high powered lawyers and, and maybe even presidents sometimes. Uh-huh, <laughs> someone downstairs. <laughs> Um, but we have to have a sense of like I don't care what people think kind of attitude sometimes to get and to get to right get to, to get things done be. maybe right. Mm-hmm. So if you're a leader of a company and you're always constantly just listening to what everybody's telling you, you're not going to be able to make effective decisions sometimes. And sometimes you have to be able to go inside and say, "This is what I want. This is what I'm going to go for. I believe in myself. I believe in my vision. This is what I'm driving for." And and that's a strength. It's I a believe. strength, but it's the re- it's in relationships that we see the destruction. Absolutely. I think in 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 business and and as Jackie was saying earlier on, some of the most successful people might fit some of those criteria, right. but what happens to them in relationships? So we'll talk about that: the psychopath in a relationship, and and the psychopath in the therapist's office too. Um, I haven't seen too many, probably because they don't really go to therapy. <laughs> but I'll ask Stefan about that. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Straight talk that's all inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Tonight on our therapist panel, we are talking about uh, the psychopath. It, uh, this is a topic that interested me after having watched the series Dirty John. If, uh, you shouldn't miss it. It's really, really good. And before that, I watched the Ted Bundy tapes. And just as a psychologist, it's just fascinating to see the minds. And both are obviously true stories. One is a documentary, but the, the Dirty John one is based on the story of this, uh, woman who was, uh, basically, uh, reeled in by this, uh, this psychopath. In studio with me, uh, Stefan Ben Susan, who's a health psychologist. He's the founder of Sea Santé on the West Island. We have Jackie Miller, who's a clinical psychologist and a professor of, um, uh, psychology as well and teaches forensic psychology and knows quite a bit about this. So I, I do have a lot of questions here from listeners that I want to get to before I get to what happens when you're dating one, married to one, how the hell do you get out? What does therapy look like, etc. cetera? Uh, this person writes, uh, I wonder if there's a correlation between pharmaceutical mind-numbing drugs to treat emotional people and sociopathy, psychopathy. I have borderline personality, so I have too much emotions, and I would be afraid to take drugs to numb my emotions. However, I once dated a man who also had high anxiety, and when he took his pills, he was calmer. 
uh, that's a mood regulator thing. Uh, that, that When we're talking about um, mood regulation, it's a little bit different. Yeah, and psychopaths don't have anxiety. Right. right? They're, they're, that's the problem, right? Because a lot of the times we can feel uh, empathy or we can control our impulses for, you know, being violent or, or, or doing things that are antisocial. Because, like, we don't drive fast because we don't want to get a ticket because we're anxious about the police stopping. A psychopath would be like, oh, care. I'm driving fast. Here's the cops. Let me see if I can outrun, outrun them. them. Right. So exactly. psychopaths don't have anxiety. They don't have those kinds of issues. Right. And and mine, and, and you know, when you take a medication for uh, bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder, it's so that your emotions don't take over and, mm-hmm. and rule you and, and make you feel out of control. So when you take these uh, mind, uh, these uh, um, mood regulators, it makes everything more even. So it's not that you're numbing out. It's mm-hmm. just so that you, maybe to you it feels like numb, but it, it also means that you're not feeling things as intensely. Mm-hmm. You're regulating Right. Yeah. So it's very, very different. I would not put those two in the same category at all. Did you want to add anything, Stefan, to that, do you think? No, just that, you know, sometimes we we think we can medicate some personality disorders like borderline personality disorder and and narcissism, and we just want to make them better. But there is no medication, first of all, for personality disorders. That's important to mention. Um, and there is no there's no medication for for psychopathy. That's important no. to accept that. But we can look at what are the presenting symptoms. Are they higher in some ways? For example, if they're feeling more depressed, then we'll treat more of the depressive symptoms. If they're more anxious, we'll treat more of the anxiety. If they're socially awkward or anxious, we'll treat that. But not so much the personality disorder or the issue at stake. Right. Uh, and it, and with the borderline personality disorders, often we'll see either depression, right. anxiety, and things like that. So we would be treating that, mm-hmm. which would make you feel like you're numbing some of that, but you just wouldn't be feeling them as intensely. So here's a loaded question. So how would you describe President Trump? Right. I would think that he is some sort of path. The <laughs> question <laughs> is, what kind of path? So let me just state, just for the record, that there was uh, a book written called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. 27 healthcare professionals, psychiatrists, psychologists got together and they all wrote, I guess they all independently uh, wrote based on his uh on what they saw. Nobody examined him. Nobody talked to him, but they kind of did it from, from far away from what they could see. And the conclusion was that he had some, uh, either, uh, for sure they saw narcissism and, uh, they saw him as a sociopath. I don't think we saw the word psychopath anywhere. Um, but this is how he has been described. Yeah. And the only way to know if someone's a psychopath would be if you did the assessment you did the PCLR, which is a psychopathy checklist, and you, the highest score you can get is forty. But and if but if you get a thirty or above, you're considered a psychopath. So, is he someone that, when you look at his behaviors, when you look at examples of how he interacts with people, um, when you look at some of the ways he's reacted emotionally or not reacted mm-hmm. to things that typically people would react in a different way, um, we could we you know, suspect that he would, what he would score on this or if he would meet some of this criteria. Um, Maybe because there are things that he does that just seem very much extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I would be very 
interested to see his mm. score on that test. I don't think he'll ever take the <laughs> test, just saying. Uh, but Stefan, you said something interesting too about people in high power. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are successful because they don't care what anybody else thinks right. or says. So I'm thinking when you said that, I was thinking, I want that wall. I'm going to get that wall. I don't care what I do to get that wall. That's that, you know, I don't care what the rest of the world thinks. I'm going to do it. Right. It's a, it's a drive, isn't it? I mean, it's powerful to see in terms of how does he manipulate people and, and get people to come aboard with him, even though he may have some ludicrous ideas. Somehow he's able to convince people that his ideas is the right one, um, despite all the hatred and the negative negativity that's going on around him. He almost fuels on it, doesn't he? And, um, it, yeah. and it's not even like we don't even know if he really cares about it. But I think what is you know, interesting is that he just wants to get his own way. Like when students ask me, well, Miss, why do psychopaths do that? And I I tell them, well, it's the same, like, why does a dog lick its butt? Because it can, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But seriously, because psychopaths aren't doing it for, they're not doing it for emotion. They're doing it because like, I can get away with that. So right. I'm going to do it. And right. all the research on the brain about psychopaths shows that their reaction, their emotional reaction to things that we would have a reaction to, they just don't. And people ask, like, are you born a psychopath or are you made into one? Yeah, we don't know. But it, it's kind of like you could have a predisposition maybe with your brain. Those emotional regions aren't, you know, developing the way that they should. And then you put a person in an environment where there's, you know, it's stressful, there's abuse, there's modeling of those kinds. It's an interaction. Right. It's an interaction of both those things. Like in the, in Dirty John, you saw Mm -hmm. his, uh, there were plenty of examples of how he was raised. I mean, his father clearly making him eat glass to, to to get money. money. Like, yeah, Yeah. his, his father was a big swindler and used the kids to do that and didn't care what people thought. And, and so I think it really, that kind of showed how he was primed for that. Mm -hmm. Plus living in maybe some poverty, absence of a mother, like there was all many, many factors that you say, oh, okay, I can see how certain traumas, if you want to call them that, or certain ways that that child was socialized, Mm -hmm. that it would be easy to to go on uh, and become that. Well, there's another really good documentary called um, My Brain Made Me Do It. Mm -hmm. And it's all looking at the legal ramifications of if we start looking at if the brains of people are reacting a certain way so it makes them not have empathy or makes them act in antisocial ways, can we hold them accountable mm-hmm. and, and put them in prison for their actions when this is, you know, um, something that they, there is some, something they were born right. with. It's like expecting someone to behave, you know, according to the rules, but they're missing that part of their brain is not online to do that. So can we hold them responsible? It's a really good uh, documentary. Yeah. The, the question would be, what do you need to do to protect the public? Mm-hmm. Right. If, yeah. If and, it's that kind of behavior. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Doc. You're exactly right. I asked that question about Trump based on what your guest said about people in power. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Trump is doing anything to build the wall because he cannot admit that the wall is not necessary. Well, he's not going to admit that he's wrong. I think that's maybe part of it is not admitting Absolutely. Uh, it's one of the signs of that being a you're psychopath, wrong. isn't exactly. it? You're always uh, right, no matter what. Uh, coming up, well, I, we'll talk about like maybe 
treatment or or especially if you're living with one can couple therapy even help this kind of situation or do you just get the hell out and find a way to get the hell out. But there's an interesting question here from somebody who um, is describing some behavior at the age of three or four and wants to know if that was psychopathic. So I'll, I'll ask our therapist panel, Stefan Bensusen and Jackie Miller. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. We're talking about psychopaths tonight on our therapist panel. Stefan Bensusen, a health psychologist, and Jackie Miller, a clinical psychologist and a professor of uh, psych also who teaches forensic psychology. Uh, here's a couple of questions here. When I was three or four, my grandfather had gotten cancer, and when we went to visit him, I was sticking a fork in the wall outlets, even though my mother told me specifically not to do that. Maybe I knew he was going to die and wanted us all to die together. Was that psychopathic? You can't really take one behavior, like a reactionary behavior. You have a little kid, He's there's a traumatic situation here, uh, sometimes kids will do the darndest things, you know, test, test limits. Like you tell a kid, don't touch the stove. They might still want to know for themselves by putting their hand on the stove. So you can't really call one behavior. It's always a cluster of stuff, but never just one. Right. And, and there's a lot of emotion that goes on, especially when you find out your grandfather has cancer and may be dying and you don't know what that means and everybody's upset and you maybe you just want to take attention away from that scene exactly. or maybe I just don't know how to deal with my feelings. So I'm going to do something that's going to be a little bit, I'm going to be a little devilish and try something that's not supposed to happen. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a psychopathic tendency there. Exactly. Another texter says, what is it considered if someone has a dark side and slightly sadistic? Again, what are we talking about here? Does a person have empathy? Do they feel guilt? Do they have all those other uh, emotions or none of those emotions? Because they could easily fit into also BDSM. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean that people who are practice BDSM are psychopaths. There's a separate uh, for sadism. There's actually a clinical diagnosis of sadism, but that's but that's a criminal. It's usually a, a criminal act also. Mm-hmm. So we're not, you know, if, if somebody simply has a bit of a dark side and expresses it in a non-threatening way or non-using of someone else way where it's consensual and, and all of that, then that's a whole other story. Yeah. I mean, you have different categories of sex offenders and one of them is a sadistic rapist, mm-hmm. but this is, yeah, it's a non, it's, it's, you know, finding a lot of pleasure in, um, you know, torturing someone and doing sexual, but getting their sexual pleasures from the torture. From torturing someone who doesn't want to be tortured. Yeah, That's exactly. That's the difference. Not Whereas in BDSM, somebody, the, 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 uh, the, the sadism is because it's received, it, the person mm-hmm. wants that. That yeah. there's, it's like, and you can have consent. more than one diagnosis. Right. right. So you can fit the criteria for multiple things. Exactly. So getting help, like what happens to, uh, let's say, a, a partner who discovers or feels that, oh, my goodness, I think I'm married to a psychopath. <laughs> of course, the first instinct is run. Um, sometimes not, maybe not so easy to do, as we saw in the, uh, the series Dirty John. It's mm-hmm. not easy to get away either. But psychopaths in treatment like uh, 
Personally, I'm not sure I've ever actually treated one because they don't stick around. I mean, they have to feel that there's a sense of responsibility. And for, for successful therapy to be called successful, the, the client has to feel like they're invested in it and that they're learning something and they're growing from it and they're changing their behaviors and they're feeling more positive about it. So is can we actually do true therapy on psychopaths? I, I think not. However, we can manage them. We can curtail their behavior. We can train them in some ways. We can teach them that if they do this and this and this, it's in their best interest to do this and this. So you kind of have to coach them with their own kind of medicine. Um, if you try to... You have to outsmart them, Stefan. If you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in a way. Because if you confront them directly, they'll, they won't come back. Well, you're the crazy one. Right. Yeah. That's what they'll yeah. think. Well, in, you know, in treating offenders, they use the cognitive behavioral model. So the idea is you're trying to get them to change their thought patterns and so that they, they behave differently. And so you may never get them to feel empathy for people. But yeah, you want them to sort of say, okay, well, how will I benefit if I go by the rules of exactly. society? Or how will I benefit if I don't do this horrible uh, behavior? Um, but it's very difficult because... Yeah, the psychopaths really, if you're in a relationship with a psychopath, they you, you need to understand that they see you as prey. It's mm -hmm. it's like the lion Or a possession, seeing, right? Or a possession, yeah. too, to do with what they exactly. want. Exactly. You know, um, you're not another human being to them. And it's really hard for people for to, uh, to understand that. Um, and also, I think it's important with gender to know that we, we well, a lot of times when we talk about psychopaths, we have sort of a male in mm -hmm. mind, but well, there females can mm -hmm. be as well. Absolutely, yeah. uh, and I think um, there's another side too, right? So the psychopath may do may may get possessive, may be controlling, may be doing things, but the person they're with also get feels. Uh, somewhat lo like a, a love from them because they're manipulated through love, right? Mm -hmm. Or the semblance of love, let's just say. Yeah. I mean, what, I've worked with offenders who were offending their own children and their children still wanted to have contact with them, mm -hmm. you know, in prison. Um, they still loved them. They still cared about them. It's a very complicated relationship. Um, yeah. And it, it's very difficult. Like when you're someone who's been manipulated and you have these strong, intense feelings for someone, it's, it's hard to see them as a psychopath because you have another vision of them. Right. And also what we said at the very beginning is it's hard to recognize mm -hmm. when we just can't imagine that people could be that way or exactly. could do that. So there's a tendency to sometimes make, uh, like ex not excuses, but, but say, oh, but they were having a bad day or, oh, whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, it could be something else. Oh, that couldn't have been true or mm -hmm. whatever it is, because you, it's almost like, it's not possible. Like, yeah. wow. And, and even in the case of like a woman, it's it, a lot, you might see the same behaviors in, in a female that you see in a male, but you think, oh, no, there has to be a reason why a woman would do that. Mm -hmm. She could never be, you mm -hmm. know, that violent or that, mm -hmm. you know, um, to commit those kinds of acts. Exactly. This text writes, uh, Richard Kuklinski is a good example. He claims he knows the time 
that his brain broke after experiencing psychological trauma. I said, I don't know that name. Do you know that name? Um, when his father accidentally beat his little brother to death and physically when he beat Richard unconscious. He said he woke up and things felt different. He didn't feel for anybody anymore other than rage. He used this to become one of the mafia's most prolific hitmen rather than the other way around, which is to, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Because you were talking about cases where you could have a brain tumor. Right. That causes... Yeah, certain actions. There, there have been cases that have shown that someone starts to act in a very antisocial way. Um, it could be, you know, all of a sudden being sexually attracted to children, or go and do uh, the case where um, the shooter on the Texas uh, mm-hmm. tower. When they looked at his brain afterwards, they saw that there was a tumor in it. And so, um, there have been cases where they've looked at people's brains after they've done some very unusual behavior and seen that there was something pathological about the brain. So in a, in a case like that, it would probably not have been there their whole lives. Like that you would have right. seen a drastic change in somebody's mm-hmm. behavior. Like mm-hmm. we never knew this could happen. But in the case of uh, John, of that true story, right. Dirty John, there were tons of people who were coming, who were able to come forward and say, he did this to me, he did that to me. This, you know, there were multiple relationships going mm-hmm. on. Family there were multiple fam- Yeah, there were multiple things and um, multiple lives, really, right? Mm-hmm. Hidden lives uh, going on at the same time. So, which yeah. I think would be different. Yeah, and I don't, and it's not, I don't think there's any evidence to show that there's, you know, one thing that causes psychopathy or you could have one experience and then all of a sudden you could start right. to, you'd meet the criteria for a psychopath. Right. Yeah. Well, if you're interested, go online. And what's that uh, that psychopath uh, checklist? Uh, oh, the psychopathy checklist mm-hmm. by Dr. Robert Hare. Yeah. Okay. You what's can it find called? it on the psychopathy checklist. Okay. That's what it's Look called. Look it up. The psychopathy checklist and um, PCLR. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you if you fit the bill, though. <laughs> go get help. Call Stefan. Apparently, he has dealt with psychopaths. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not, it's, uh, it's the, the, that's one difficult or one clientele most of us do, do not want to see so much in our offices, even, even though and they're not looking for us either. and they're not <laughs> looking for us. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, Stefan, where can people reach you? They can reach us at the, um, 514-542-6888 and at psysante.ca. Wonderful. And Jackie, where can people find you? 514-772-5683. Wonderful. That's Stefan Bensusen and Jackie Miller on our therapist panel. We'll see you guys again next month. Uh, that's it for us. Thank you so much for spending this uh, time with us. Uh, thanks to our technical producer, Brian Kalisar. You can connect with me uh, either through my website, drlaurie.com. You can send me your emails through there or through the iHeartRadio app. Uh, you can also find me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Just stay.